Hi guys, welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, registered dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, registered nutritionist. And, and today, oh. you go, you introduce it. <laughs> okay, today we are talking about orthorexia and clean eating because when we put a question box up for this topic, we were bombarded with questions. So we thought, what a great topic for an episode. Yeah, I love this topic. It's it's so new as well, I and I feel well, like yeah. there's so much like information, but it's not really concrete information yet. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot of discussion, um, and I do feel we have a unique perspective because we've kind of grown up in the age of clean eating, and we've kind of been exposed to that. So I think we have a unique perspective from where we are professionally and being able to like reflect back to like what we were doing when this whole clean eating thing blew up yeah I feel like there's a lot fueling this type of behavior as well and this idea so it'll be interesting to get into that yeah definitely okay I don't even know where to start we have so many questions um but I guess probably just starting with what the fork is anorexia orthorexia classified in the dsm-5 as an eating disorder mm-hmm. so things like or eating disorders such as anorexia and bulimia binge eating disorder those are actually kind of clinically identified as an eating disorder whereas orthorexia is not mm-hmm. however i do think it is widely accepted as some sort of eating disorder by most health professionals a hundred percent. And yeah, so there's definitely a, dis- a level of disordered behavior and obsession, and we'll get into it, like um, some of the signs and symptoms of it. But yeah, it's not in the DSM-5, so it's not ca- you can't get treatment for um, orthorexia through, I guess, like the NHS at the moment, because it's not yet recognized, but it does kind of like treatment can fall under other disorders. So there's a lot of similarities between anorexia and orthorexia um and sometimes those lines can be blurred going both ways so like you can have orthorexic tendencies slip into anorexic behaviors and the other way so a lot of people who are recovering from anorexic recover via orthorexic tendencies so it's like a two-way street there so there's a lot of blurred lines that we'll go into definitely so the research suggests that it differs from other eating disorders in the sense that there's less of a focus on losing weight Mm. however although I do agree agree with that to an extent I do think that people might want to pursue these behaviors with the attempt to lose weight or the intent sorry to lose weight yeah do you agree I agree because I think and maybe we should start by defining what orthorexia means so ortho is like the term for like right or correct and rexus is appetite so it actually means correct appetite or like the correct diet so it's kind of the obsession with eating a proper or healthy diet. Um, so I do think that maybe people seek this journey for weight loss. So there is an element of weight. But yeah. in the research, a lot of it says that the main point of differentiation is like quantity versus quality. So yeah. it's not so, so much about restricting the amount of food. It's just the type of food. Yeah, there's a lot of words like pure and clean used uh, in relation to orthorexia so someone might 
you know, it's like that idea of treating your body like a temple so you can only put like really clean or pure ingredients into it and everything has to be like vetted to make sure that there's no additional ingredients or something that, you know, is a little bit alien to you, which I always like to use the example of like the fortified milks because they contain stabilizers mm. obviously to support the added nutrients. And someone who might be suffering with orthorexia might think that a plant milk that's purely just like almonds and water and salt is much healthier. However, it's not necessarily because it hasn't got those added nutrients, but in the mind of someone who's kind of clean eating, they'll see that kind of simple ingredients list and be like, yeah, that's the healthier alternative. Yeah, and I think it's 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 when people see those added alter- added ingredients as impurities and then you start to internalize that. Well, if I eat something that's technically impure, then I'm an impure person, so I'm a bad person if I eat that. So I want to be as pristine as I can. So I'm only going to eat this allotted group of foods that I know are safe. Yeah, definitely. Um, And some of the kind of risk factors that are associated with this are things like um, obsessive compulsive disorder, a history of an eating disorder, like you said, and also the tendencies to be a perfectionist. Yeah. Which, which again, is very similar to anorexia. I was just going to say that. So, like, I do think the personality traits of the different eating disorders is something that's really interesting. We don't have to get into it. But yeah. these do kind of mimic the traits that we see in clinical anorexia, which is why it's so common, um, commonly associated with it. But I think... It is interesting that this term wasn't used until the late 90s, so it wasn't until 1998 that it was really being used in the research. And I find that so interesting that we've kind of been in this era of just like, it's just developing around our kind of childhood, adulthood. I don't know. I just find it like super interesting that we lived in this world and we really didn't know what we were doing until someone put a label to it and outlined the risks and then we were able to self-reflect and be like oh you know what there was a time maybe when I did that and I do see how that is disordered but when you're in it you don't really realize yeah definitely and it's kind of I don't know if understandable is the right word to use but because there is so much emphasis on eating healthy and you know we can control our health via what we put in our body it's kind of yeah you know why wouldn't we kind of go down this road and pursue healthy eating the people that I don't know maybe have such a goal in terms of you know either their weight or their health might think that this this is the answer yeah I see when I was working privately I saw a lot of um individuals with orthorexic tendencies who actually have like um medical conditions or diagnoses so it started out where okay I have this diagnosis how can I help myself and then you kind of go into this spiraling you know downward trend of I'm going to cut this out I'm going to cut this out I'm going to cut this out but it did come from like a really genuine place of I want to get healthy and heal whatever ailment it was yeah definitely kind of what I was trying to say you just worded it better than me no it's just that's how a conversation goes yeah exactly um so yeah should we just kick off and start to really delve into it and address some of the questions as we go along yeah I do want to say that I personally before we get into it I personally believe that disordered eating or you know eating patterns it's a spectrum. Like, I don't want anyone to, like, walk away from this thinking, you know what, maybe I identified with one too many things that were mentioned. Everyone is so different. And like we said, this is not a recognized, 
you know, eating disorder. So the research is just so new and so novel. So don't, please don't self-diagnose. Um, there are definitely things in here that I can identify with or have identified with in the past. That doesn't mean anything, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. So where do you want to start? Should we start maybe with like the warning signs? Yeah. 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 The warning signs and also kind of the consequences as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay. But before we get there, um, I think the big thing of if I were to like picture someone who is orthorexic without giving away signs and symptoms, I would just say someone who is like persistently fixated on health and nutrition. Yeah. Where that is the sole purpose of their life. Yeah. And and it will probably be the case that their entire day is centered around what foods they're going to eat, when they're going to eat, how they're going to make them. Mm Mm-hmm what exactly is going into their body and they'll constantly be thinking about that yeah and I think that ties in really interestingly with the rise of social media and these like foodie pages where you can like have an excuse to spend your whole day just looking at food but you know I'm jumping ahead aren't I (laughs) we normally do (laughs) it's this is the problem with an unstructured conversation because we don't like to plan our conversations because we like to have a natural like free-flowing chat but sometimes it can be like a bit unstructured. Yeah, that's fine. We still we have listeners coming back every week, so oh yeah, carry on. this is true. Someone someone is liking what we're saying, so that's yeah. good. Okay, cool. Let's dive into the warning signs and symptoms. Okay, so I would say that if you're having a lot of anxiety around food and how it's prepared or how you're going to prepare it yourself. Um, like I said, what kind of foods you're eating, if you start to identify with rules in your head around different foods, and those rules are kind of dictating how and when you eat and why you eat. Um, also shame. Yeah. I think a lot of when you are pursuing such a structured way of eating and you're sticking to I'll just put clean in like little quotations, uh, clean foods, you are probably highly likely going to crave the bad foods as well and then obviously not bad food but in your head they might be bad food so things like chocolate and sugar and cakes because we all love something sugary every now and again so you might give in to one of those choices and you might be overwhelmed with feelings of guilt and shame yeah definitely um so yeah it's that like morality that you place on the food and that you kind of internalize Um, I also think, like, obsessive checking of, like, ingredients. So, like, I just picture someone maybe going through a supermarket and spending, like, an obscene time, like, comparing different packaging with ingredients. And, you know, it's – I mean, we definitely don't want people to get – come away from this being like, oh, it doesn't matter what you eat, don't check labels. Like, there is some, you know, value in that to know what you're having and et cetera. But it becomes – it's like when you're spending absolute – hours yeah, just staring I was about to say like I've had clients who you know they've come to me and said it just takes me like three hours to do my food shop because I spend my time in each aisle like comparing food labels yeah so that increased concern about the ingredients and the time um to decipher which food is in quotes better um than others and then the other thing would be just like cutting out a lot of different foods so, like we said, not able to have sugar, or you cut out oils, or you cut out 
I don't know, you can't have butter, and then that turns into I can't have dairy, um, and that turns into I can't have gluten, that turns into, you know, all of a sudden you're just eating celery. Yeah, and I think a lot of these kind of things might be gradual changes as well, so you don't necessarily realise how far down the rabbit hole you're going. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, like maybe six months down the line, you're so far away from what your original eating pattern was. Yeah, exactly. I think it is super gradual and I can like kind of relate to this. Like when I was younger, I've spoken about this before, but I had really, really bad acne, like terrible, terrible skin. And, you know, there's a very, very small body of research that says that, you know, dairy can be pro-inflammatory for a certain group of people. Um, So it doesn't affect everyone, but it can affect some people. And my dad's lactose intolerant. So I remember being like, oh, should I give up dairy? to see if it helps with my skin. And then before you know it, someone says, oh, you know, sugar and chocolate is bad for your skin. So then I was not trying not to eat dairy. I was trying not to eat sugar. And then someone's like, yeah, it's all the processed food. And then before I knew it, I was like, well, what am I allowed to eat? Or is this going to give me a pimple? And it came from a place of like just being really paranoid about my skin and embarrassed. But gradually over time, I was unsure of what I was allowed to eat. And I feel like that's kind of the trajectory of how orthorexia kind of goes, that it doesn't come, it doesn't always come from a place of, oh, I want to lose weight. It probably comes from something else, but gradually over time, your food choices and your food availability start to really dwindle. Yeah, definitely. It's weird because when, I mean, I've had kind of orthorexic tendencies and, but I, looking back, like, I don't know where, like, kind of the fuel, like what was fueling it because... I would honestly, I think I've mentioned before, I'd choose a chocolate bar that was, you know, loaded with coconut oil and maple syrup because for some reason in my head that was so much healthier than a normal chocolate bar. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm trying to think, like, where did that come from? It's probably, like, the wellness bloggers being like, yeah, coconut oil's amazing and maple syrup's the healthier version of actual sugar. Um, so, in, and I did just get obsessed with, like, I, my my mentality was I cannot put anything in my body that's not going to serve me so there's no point in me eating sugar because it's not giving me anything it's not doing anything good for my body that was like my kind of reasoning behind my behavior mm. and yeah it's always like the rationale that we come to it doesn't really make sense anywhere but in our own head but when you're spending all this time in your head ruminating over these choices and ruminating over these thoughts it makes complete sense and then you say it out loud and you're like well if someone came to me and said that seeking for advice, I'd be like, okay, we need to like sort this out. But when in your, in your own head, you can justify it. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I think these, these are kind of more justifiable thoughts than others. You know what I mean? Like, um, especially when it's like health, not weight, when health is, you know, public health is a thing. You go to the doctor because you want to be healthy, but it's just when you cross that threshold of, kind of like that obsessive tendency um that is really the red flag yeah so should we talk about that line then and you know because a lot of people sent in questions about that line between actually eating healthy and serving your body and you know because we know as well that good nutrition is linked to decreased risk of all these illnesses Mm -hmm. but then when does it go too far and actually we cross the line and what we think is healthy is actually unhealthy yeah I think in my head a big thing that stands out is when you cross that line you are sacrificing 
thing. So you're giving up certain things, whether it's like social events or certain pleasures to just have that one goal of just health or purity. So if your friends are going out for pizza and beers and you can't physically say yes because you're, you don't know what you can have there, that to me is when you're crossing that line. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, there are consequences that come with clean eating. And if you are getting to the point where, you know, I always think as well, health isn't just about what we eat. Mm. It's, you know, we have, yes, there is physical health, but there's mental health as well. And if you're mentally battling with this voice that's constantly telling you to just eat, you know, green vegetables and lean sources of protein, that's really not, that's stressing you out. And we know that stress leads to inflammation in the body. Yeah, I think it just, it goes back to the fact that like disordered eating and eating disorder is a psychological, you know, it's a mental health disorder. So as much as it is related to food, it is a psych kind of related issue. Um, And that's something that we always have to keep at the forefront of our minds, especially as like nutrition health practitioners, like where is our scope of practice? Obviously, we're not um, mental health practitioners. We're not psychologists. We are, you know, nutrition related professionals, but those lines are kind of like a bit blurry um but at the end of the day like if you are it's not just about like your physical health so if you're cutting out certain foods you know you might become uh nutrient deficient in xyz it is about that psychological impact and the burden that you're placing on your mental health that is probably the bigger picture like the bigger issue yeah definitely and i think where when you cross that line you are at risk of having problems with you know your brain function and your cognitive functioning like you said you can definitely be at risk of certain nutritional deficiencies particularly if you're cutting out certain fats um carbohydrates even yeah um dairy things like osteoporosis you might be at risk at low bone density Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many like stress anxiety malnutrition yeah impaired sleep social life yeah your sleep your emotions you might feel low self-esteem because you know you're not fueling yourself properly and your mood will be low yeah there's a lot of risk so it's not just kind of like the nutrition risk like we said but like the disease risk but it's also like the psych risk so it's a twofold twofold thing so uh, it's just so hard to put into words like what happens uh, you know the mental process of going from I'm going to cut this out, blah, blah. All of a sudden you're down this rabbit hole and you just have like, I don't know, wheat thins in front of you. I I don't know if you know what wheat thins are. It's like a weird whole grain cracker, but like whatever, you know what I mean? All of a sudden you like can't leave your house because you don't know what you can have outside. You're like bringing food with you everywhere you go. The stress is crippling of like, well, when will I be able to eat a safe food again? The anxiety is immense you're probably getting lots of pressure from friends and family who are worried about you and it's so much to deal with like so it's a lot of lack of flexibility around food as well then yeah so if you're like you said if you if you're cancelling on your friends and social events because purely because you're like what am I going to eat what am I going to drink then that that would be a red flag yeah but there is like it's such a hard thing because like I pack lunch every day to go to work that doesn't mean that I'm inflexible to get food when I'm at work. It just means you that I want to. I want to save money. I like to cook, and I do like to bring healthy meals. That doesn't mean every now and then 
I go out and I get like a falafel from one of the food carts because I do and I love doing that, but I don't do it every day. But I wouldn't say that I'm obsessed with bringing my food into work. I do it because I make leftovers for dinner and I take them to work. But the line is so hard to define and that's probably why, you know, it's not classified just yet because the defining factors are so vague and we know that the um, diagnostic criteria is not foolproof yet, which we'll go into um, kind of like how people are diagnosed with this. It's not a great system that we have at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. I but think just one more thing to add to that. Let's say, you know, you've got your meals planned for the day and you're at work and it's someone's birthday and they bring in a cake. Is that going to freak you out? Or are you going to think, oh, cool, I'm going to have a slice of cake today? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like works ordering in. It's a Friday night. We're having pizza and beers after work. Do you stay and enjoy? Or do you go home because you're afraid that you might have one too many slices of pizza? Yeah. And actually, I remember that work did order in pizza and I had a glass or two of wine and I got out my lunchbox that I had brought with me to work that day um and I'd like washed it out and I like stole two pieces of pizza and I put it in the lunchbox and I put it back in the fridge and I was like oh it's gonna be my breakfast tomorrow morning oh when I come God, back so into the office. Op- I mean, you differ so much like pizza is not for breakfast. <laughs> oh my God, cold pizza is the best oh. breakfast. No. Best. Um, but yeah, that's like, I do remember maybe if that situation happens like five, six years ago, maybe even more. Yeah. Five, six, seven years ago, maybe I would have reacted really differently. Yeah. Or how would I have compensated for that? So it's maybe it's maybe you are at a place where you can be flexible. So again, like we said, this is a spectrum. Maybe you can be flexible, but then, you know, you think that you need a detox smoothie after to get rid of whatever chemicals you consumed the night prior. So it doesn't always have to be that inflexibility, but what are you sacrificing? Yeah. And and how often, like, because I think there isn't actually anything wrong with saying no to the pizza. You're like, actually, I'd rather just go home and cook myself what, you know, the nice healthy meal I had in mind. But if that is constant and you're never allowed to stray away from that, then maybe... Yeah, like if you had a nice meal cook a plan for like you and your partner and you were looking forward to that, that's completely fine. But if you were like, and if you didn't fancy it, that's also completely fine. But if you were just unable to allow yourself, that's when it's not fine. Yeah, so I think it is a lot to do with the mentality behind your choices. Yeah, 100%. Again, mental health disorder, all about the mentality. It's all about where your mindset is at. Um, about the rules that you place on yourself and your thoughts yeah and what happens when you break them so there was another thing that we didn't mention on the warning signs and symptoms that I just wanted to put out there because I actually find it such a interesting part of the research is that people um, have an interest in what other people are eating and they kind of put like moral judgment onto others based on their food choices and I just find that so interesting because it's so part of like normal conversation be like oh what are you having for lunch today but someone who's going through kind of like an orthorexic mindset is like oh well what are you eating you know that's bad for you like yeah what what kind of oil is that are what 
are you okay? Like, do you know what I mean? It just comes from a very different place. Yeah, very interesting. I've definitely known people like that. (laughs) Same. And then I also feel like, again, just like being on Instagram from like a young age and like the original food accounts and the original kind of like health and wellness bloggers. Like it was that just like you wanted to know what everyone else was having and... Yeah, it was like an obsession. Yeah, and if someone was just having like tons of like green smoothies then I don't know they were like cool I know and I when the whole superfood thing was like at its peak I would like see this is obviously before I studied nutrition but I'd see like this superfood smoothie and I'd be like why aren't I doing this yeah (laughs) it's just like part of my routine it's just that moral judge like the morality that was placed on food and how we internalize that be like oh well this is super healthy and full of all these antioxidants then they must be like amazing people it's like that actually makes no logical sense no sense at all but yeah so sorry to deviate um i just thought that was like really interesting i always find that super interesting okay so what was the original question that we were trying to answer we were talking about questions it might become a little bit clearer as well um so someone asked can you overeat on healthy foods in the same way you can binge on junk foods i think yeah i think the answer is yes i think if you are ignoring your cues so if you're ignoring your hunger and fullness cues and you are just like gorging on this like bowl of berries it's still coming from a different mental space than just eating, you know, a snack. You're, I think that if you are trying to escape certain feelings that, you know, eating can be a really mind-numbing task and it can be quite soothing. So I think you can definitely binge on healthy foods the same way that you can binge on unhealthy foods. So when you look at the classical definition of a binge, it has says nothing about the type of foods that you're eating. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, you could too much of anything isn't necessarily good for you like let's say you eat for dinner you want your entire plate or bowl to just be packed with veg or fruit that's still probably going to have a negative effect on how your stomach feels afterwards yeah totally I don't know where I heard this the other day but like someone had like seven bananas and I just like was just trying to think like I would feel so ill if I had seven barely get through one banana do you remember when we were, um, I forgot what episode was it, but we were talking about the GM diet and like one of the days was just like milk and milk bananas. And bananas. <laughs> Worst day ever. Worst day. But like, can you imagine just like, you know, when, you, and obviously a lot of the time binging comes from a place of restriction. So, yeah. so you do restrict yourself of the foods that you want, but then you binge on the foods that you're allowed to eat. It's still one, you're not giving yourself that satisfaction. So those binges are going to continue. Um, but yet you're still going to feel just as sick if you binged on milk and bananas, if you did binge on a McDonald's. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, the answer is yes, you could still binge on healthy foods. Detailed blog on my website at sophieshealthkitchen.com that's actually written 
by a diet by an eating disorder dietitian. So I'd be yeah. happy to just direct people there unless you have anything specific to add. No, I just think that actually it's an area that there's not enough um, resources on because I think if people are trying to gain weight, um, it, it, the information is just like calorie surplus, but that doesn't really take into consideration, you know, health. And I do think that that does have to be considered, even though it's not the only thing that should be considered. Definitely, but I think if you need to gain weight and you need to restore a healthy weight, you need to accept that you cannot just do that eating in quotes healthy foods a hundred percent the variety that's the thing but i i don't know i think that maybe there's some misinformation that oh it says that i just have to eat you know milkshakes for every breakfast lunch and dinner and no it's it's a balance and it teaches you you know but i think that process could be very educational and maybe there's not enough resources out there to let people know so i think the fact that you have a blog that people can go and refer to is fantastic because I don't think there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, agreed. Um, cool. Well, this is an interesting one. Can veganism play a part in orthorexia? I got this question as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that oh, veganism is hard because, one, you are cutting out a lot of food um, and food groups, but I think it, it, it comes down to why you're choosing to do so. Saying it comes back to the mentality thing and the reason behind your decision. Yeah. And it's hard because I have worked with clients in the past and seen clients, you know, in hospital settings where they were recovering from an eating disorder, but they were also vegan. And can you truly recover from an eating disorder on a vegan diet with that restriction? And I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I I don't think you can. you know some of these clients did need to gain weight and I'd say okay you know if you want to be vegan that's fine but in order to gain weight like you know you need to you need to eat more of the foods in bigger quantities to kind of match what you would have been eating if you were eating you know meat and dairy products and then they kind of get freaked out and they're like oh okay so then that's clear to me that they probably were pursuing a vegan diet because they thought they'd get away with eating less yep definitely and I think that, you know, if if you are um, trying to recover and ethical things are very important to you, I think there's ways that you can minimize your ethical impact. Like you don't have to all of a sudden have steak three nights a week. Like there's there's things you can do that you can find a healthy balance. And once your mentality is in a safer place, like just know you can go there in the future, but for your current like needs going in that direction but yeah. it doesn't have to be done overnight so strictly yeah and you have to think do, does does that meet your current health needs right now or your mental yeah. health needs um and sometimes your needs and those choices won't match up but your future needs and those choices could match up so um i don't think that you if you are recovering or trying to normalize your eating patterns i think the best thing is to throw as many rules out the window as you can a nutritionist or a dietitian who are registered yeah and know what they're doing and but, have experience working with disordered eating clients totally do you think that a lot of people use veganism as a guise for 
orthorexic tendencies? Uh, in my experience and my opinion, I think they used to... It used to be more popular to do that, but I think just everyone's so conscious of eating more plant-based anyway. I prefer the word plant-based to vegan. Um, it's, it's kind of... People are more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? More aware of the impact our eating habits have on the environment and obviously the ethical reasons as well. So you've got two kind of driving factors there that are quite fair reasons to justify those behaviours. Um, I don't know, it's, it's a tough one. I wouldn't, I mean, I don't have the data. So what, yeah. what do you think? I think with like when social media was on the rise, um, when Instagram was on the rise, I think it was like a huge trend. Hashtag clean eating hashtag vegan, hashtag raw vegan. vegan. It was like, what were the other ones? Like gluten-free, refined sugar-free. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. So yeah, in my opinion, maybe agreed with you that now times are changing and people are, you know, just more conscious of, you know, the research and nutrition information than they were a few years ago, which is great. Um, But back in the day, I definitely think that veganism was a guise for clean eating yeah definitely um cool do you want to say some of your questions we'll throw back and forth yes definitely um can you give an example of orthorexia still not sure what it is i think like it's it's a yeah it is really blurry um but I think my original example of maybe someone who has acne and wants to fix it from within, there's air quotes on that, obviously. Um, you can try improving a lot of things about your food and all of a sudden you start cutting out a lot of food groups and it just becomes really narrow in your selection. And I think that maybe that's a good example because it didn't come from a place of weight. It came from a place of health. And I think that's a big defining factor between anorexia and orthorexia. Yeah, I think if you've cut a load of foods out and you can't really tell yourself exactly why or you can't back anything up with, you know, hard science, then maybe seek some help. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yep. Okay, cool. I think that question is answered. Okay. Um, Let's see. I'm like not reading my questions in order, so I'm a bit confused as to where I am. Um... How to make it okay to introduce fear foods. By the way, love your podcast. That's ah, nice. Thanks. <laughs> um, I always, um, when I worked privately, I always had people pair a fear food with a safety food. So if your fear food was, let's say, you know, salad dressing and your safety food was carrots, then why don't you start dipping some carrots into the salad dressing so it'd always be like fear foods are like red and safety foods are green in order to move the red foods to yellow to green you start to pair them with safe foods and they become a bit more normalized and it's a gradual build-up no one's gonna be like have a bowl of salad with like eight tablespoons of salad dressing like you can't go from zero to 100 it's all about that gradual reintroduction Totally, that's something we do at the Retrition Clinic as well. We have the traffic light list, so yeah. the foods are in red, and then obviously orange and green are the foods you're kind of okay with, and then the safe foods. And it's about kind of gradually moving those fear foods into the orange and the green column. Yeah, I think that's pretty standard practice. Um, and yeah, I think it's all about just 
making peace with that food um, and starting starting small. There's no expectations. Trying to look at the food differently. So let's take, I don't know, a piece of chocolate, for instance. You might look at that and think, no, that's unhealthy. I can't eat that. Whereas actually chocolate contains some antioxidants. It contains sugar, which gives us energy. And it's really delicious. So actually that food is going to serve you in some way. Yes, maybe just viewing it in a different light. Um, that usually takes a professional to help you sort through that. 100%. Um, yeah. Okay, I think we answered that one. A lot of mine have already been answered, but one is, is an obsession with supplements a form of orthorexia? Oh, I love this question. What do you think? I think yes, and I'm going to speak from a personal point of view because when I was in LA for the second time, I just developed this obsession with taking supplements. I think I've mentioned to you before, I genuinely think I spent a total of $250 whilst I was out there Wild. just on supplements. Wild. Like on acai tablets, tablets um, because they were high in antioxidants. I thought I needed B12, um, I needed like CLAs, like literally any kind of supplement. And then I would just take like a multivitamin for good measure as well, just to make sure I was yeah. covered. And it was just ridiculous. Like how could, like I was just like, you know, I, mean, I was young, I was in a healthy body. You know, there was absolutely no reason why I just got so carried away because the more I read up on supplements, the more I was like, well, actually, you know, iron is needed for energy. So I might need to take an iron tablet, no harm in just taking one, you know, might as well. And I just became obsessed and I'd have like, I think I'd have different tablets to take with every single meal of the day. Yeah. Wow. Wild. And I, honestly, like, this is a hand on my heart. I got back from the trip. I was out there for three months. And when I got back, I cut out all the supplements overnight. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's, like, the answer and that's what you should do or that's the cure. But I was ju- I just got to the point where I was like, this is actually ridiculous. Let me see if I can actually live and function without them. Yeah. And I did. Yeah, exactly. And I think I said this in a few episodes ago, but like you can't supplement your way healthy. Like I just love that it, so much. It doesn't it's not supplements aren't like, oh, I'm just gonna eat like I, I hate using that term, but like eat like crap and just take supplements. Like that's not how it works. Mm. Like you need a wide range of foods, good and bad. I know I hate yeah. using that term, but like it's just an easier way to like phrase it. Um there's like a body of research to say that you the bioavailability of a supplement is not the same as the food exactly so we absorb it we absorb it a lot better from food than we do from supplements so it's always a food first approach if you cannot get that nutrient from the food that you're eating or your body is having trouble absorbing it then 100 percent supplementation is the right path but that's something that you a decision that you come to with your doctor dietitian nutrition like it's not something that you can just ascertain kind of yourself you don't just don't wake up one day and it's like oh i feel a bit riboflavin deficient i was just gonna say as well if you think you might be deficient or you're worried or think that you might need to take some sort of supplement go and get a blood test a free blood test with your gp do not send off for one of these ridiculous tests online that's going to tell you you need to supplement a load of stuff. Yeah, and then buy their supplements. Exactly, yeah. Just, I, I'm like, it's harsh to say I've never understood it, but 
why would you spend so much money on one of these kits online when you can literally go to your GP and get a free blood test? So true. It's like the most safe, you know, foolproof result. So, so, so true. Um, But I do think if you have that obsession with supplementing, it's probably coming from a place of like an obsession with just being as healthy as possible, which I think goes back to the definition of orthorexia. So I definitely think an obsession with supplements is a form of orthorexia. Um, It it depends like to the extent of what you do it and how long you're doing it for. But I think if that mentality is there, it's kind of a yellow red flag. Totally. Um, is eating a clean brownie actually healthier than a real one? I just like it's. <laughs> I don't know how to. I know how to answer, but like it's just like. Um, first of all, it's are you able to have the regular brownie? I think. Yeah, it's like why do you want to eat the clean one? Yeah. So like, what, I'm, I'm guessing clean. They mean either a brownie made with like sweet potato or dates or black beans or something or like not even dates because it's concentrated form of sugar like i'm thinking like literally just like cocoa powder some coconut oil some like black beans yeah is that i don't know i don't know if that's considered a brownie but the thing is so i make different types of you know i I think it's just, are you able to have the alternative? Yeah. I think that's the real question. And it's like sometimes I'm making a snack. I want this to be like my go-to snack in the fridge. So I'm not going to have like a full-on chocolate brownie as a snack every day. I'll probably have like something that's made with more kind of wholesome and nutrient-rich ingredients. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong if you have a brownie every day. But in reality, that's not going to keep you full. That's not going to serve the purpose of a snack. Yeah, exactly. So you would need, if you are... Exactly. If you're having a snack, it's usually because you're hungry in between meals. So you need a bit of energy. You need a bit of food. Your stomach is rumbling. And although a brownie might be really satisfying, it's not going to keep you full. Whereas maybe something like a chickpea brownie um, has a bit more protein, has a bit more fiber, might be able to sustain you a bit better. So I I think the motive behind choosing certain ingredients is the most important yeah so i think the answer is yes it might be more nutrient dense to make an alternative version of a brownie but but to me that's not really a brownie (laughs) yeah i know what you mean um side question like a bit of a tangent um do you ever feel because i do a lot do you ever feel pressured like having being a health professional having an instagram food blog do you ever feel pressured to show, like, that we eat all types of food? Yeah. And sometimes, actually, yesterday is a good example because I made my white chocolate matcha truffles and then unexpectedly had a brownie for dessert as well. I really wasn't planning on having two desserts, but it just worked out that way. 
and I just felt the need to share it because I was like, look, like I'm having two desserts. Um, I don't really know why I did that. I just felt like people needed to know. I don't know why that sounds really weird. No, I, it doesn't sound weird. I completely agree. It's something I struggle with all the time because, you know, my page is all about the food I eat and 90% of the food I eat is very balanced and it is very nutrient rich just because that's the food that I like to eat and a lot of, and that's the food I like to cook. And a lot of the time when I don't eat like that, it's food that I'm getting from a takeaway or going out. And it's in those kind of like social situations where I'm not getting my phone out and taking pictures in well-lit areas and then posting them on my feed. And inadvertently, I feel like I don't show that side to my life. It's not, it doesn't live on my page where maybe I show it a bit more in my stories. Um, but it doesn't live on my page. And if someone stumbled on my page, would their first thought be, oh my God, she's addicted to avocado. She must be orthorexic. And I do worry that I'm putting out that message. So then I do try to compensate for it, but it's just, it's just a really awkward thing because then I feel like I have to prove myself, but then do I, I don't know, I might be sounding crazy, but you know, I completely agree. And I think, I don't know, maybe I should or shouldn't say this, I don't know, but whatever, you know, we are both, we can recognize that we're both in smaller bodies and, you know, that might kind of subconsciously be in the back of our heads that, you know, this is our size genetically, Mm. you know, we're not in larger bodies. And I always say, if I ate the same as someone who was in a larger body, when we're never going to look the same because genetics are so powerful. And I, yeah. I do think that a lot of people, because I used to think this, you know, if you if you eat less, then you weigh less. And that's not always the case. No, definitely not. There's, I look, weight is just not an indication of, you know, health or anything like that. Um, you know, set point is something that, you know, you're, it's very hard to change. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, your body will always want to sit at your set point. So when you start messing around with that, you are fighting your body, essentially. Yeah, but I don't know. I just find, like, I have this, like, conscious that um, I want to exude health and balance. But do is that actually what I show up to post every single day? Or is my messaging off from what I want it to be? But then do I force myself to make things that you know, I don't want to make in that instance. Um, yeah, I, it's, I, don't, I don't think your messaging's off. I feel confident in both of our pages um, because I feel like we continue to get good feedback. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I always try to put it on my stories, but, like, when I'm out at a bar, I'm not going to, like, pause my social activity to get a shot of my nachos and margarita because that's... That's just like awkward and I don't care that much in those situations. Yeah. I don't even have my phone out because it's not about that. It's about spending time with people. It's not about the food. Um, yeah. I think it's just important to reiterate here then is that don't take what you see on Instagram as like a pure kind of representation of what that person's eating habits are like or what their life is like. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good way to put it because I think it's really easy to just see one thing um and then yeah so I I don't know I don't know um I just was going off on a tangent there but I think it is important to talk about um okay I can't remember who just read the last question you go um I actually don't really feel like 
I just had one question that I was going to say for the end. Um, but I do feel like the ones that I got, we definitely answered. I, I feel like we'll just be repeating ourselves. Do you have any new ones? Um, so is amenorrhea a sign of orthorexia? Okay, so for anyone who doesn't know, amenorrhea is like losing your menstrual cycle. Yeah. Yeah, um, so no periods. And that tends to be um, defined as it's been more than three months that yeah. you haven't had a period. Yeah, because, you know, irregular. Yeah. Regularities are quite normal. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time your body will switch off kind of your ability to reproduce when it doesn't feel like it's a safe environment to hold a child. Um, so that means if you're not getting enough of certain nutrients, if your body fat percent drops below a certain level. Um, so I think it's definitely a sign, but it could be a sign of so many other things. So you could be going through some um, thyroid or pituitary issues as well. So I wouldn't say that it's always a sign, but I do think that if you have orthorexic tendencies and you also have amenorrhea, then that combination is no bueno. Yeah, and definitely take a visit to your GP. Definitely. If that's the case. Um, books we'd recommend... I think the top one I would say is by a dietitian called Renee McGregor, but mm-hmm. we'll put some helpful links in the show notes. Yeah, and she has a great quote. I'm going to botch this and just explain it in my own way. <laughs> but she says this thing um, that, like, what she says is there you go. <laughs> she says this thing that, like, um, f- like food is like friends, and sometimes you spend more time with certain friends. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't like your other friends if that makes sense so you might have one friend called um I don't know cheesecake and your other friend called strawberries and you might spend more time with your friend called strawberry but that doesn't mean you don't like cheesecake yeah it's just like the very important friends that you have to make time for occasionally yeah and then you know those friends that you like catch up with after like after not speaking for a while but like no time has passed like you're still just as close it's as good as it was last Exactly. I feel like that. I don't know. I, I like that metaphor. It just no, puts I things like well. into perspective. Like I eat a lot more salad because it's easy and I cook two separate meals for Mark and I every night and salad's just so easy to do and I can just put whatever I have in it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I don't like lasagna. Yeah, totally. It's just lasagna is really faffy to make for yeah. one person. <laughs> Literally. So, Yeah doesn't mean I don't love you lasagna I do um okay final thing um what to do if yourself or a friend or a family member might be suffering I love this question because I do think it puts you into an awkward place where you really don't know like it's so tough and even you know it can be any kind of eating disorder it's always so tough to know how to address it yeah if it's you I think going to someone you feel confident talking to even if it's a gp like where you have like no like bias like that person doesn't have like an emotional connection um or i do believe that um be the eating disorder charity has some great resources that kind of coach you through how to approach this situation from yourself or a friend or a family member yeah definitely i think just reaching out for help is really important it doesn't have to be, you know, the right move initially, but I think just talking about it 
is only going to help improve things. That's like the first big step, I think, is just talking about it and addressing it. Yeah, and I do think that if you recognize this in a family member or a friend, approaching it can be really tough because a lot of times that person can become quite hostile and quite defensive. Um, but don't take that as a sign of like defeat. It's probably a sign that they need more help than you originally thought. Um, yeah. So just getting and creative. I think keep the judgment yeah. out of it. Totally. Do not in any way make them feel like you're judging them. Like just let them know you're purely there for support. Exactly. So you just want them to be healthy and happy and, you know look after themselves to the best of their capabilities um so definitely wording it in a way that like you said has no judgment yeah okay i think we've exhausted all the questions i know i felt like that was quite like intense i have such a good topic and i really do feel like this is going to interest a lot of people yeah i have one question that i got that i'm dying to talk about i understand that we are going late on time so we'll try and do this as quickly as possible but someone wrote what are your thoughts on the massive publicity of Adele's weight loss oh okay yeah let's talk about this I love this question my my laptop's on 20% battery so I hope it lasts alright and if the episode just like cuts out that's why (laughs) then we know it's because Sophie's battery died um but yeah so Adele's weight loss it like shook Instagram trending on absolutely so what's everything. It been like three months and she's lost. I uh, don't even know the stat. Is there like a, a weight that they that they told us how much she's lost? Or? No, I don't think so. Uh, okay. But what I just feel like how dare we talk about another woman's body? I just find it so offensive. Oh, do you know what? I'm so glad you said that. I hate, I just don't like talking about weight. It's, to me, even as a health professional, it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'm glad you agreed. <laughs> no, it's so irrelevant. And it's just like, I saw this one comment which was just like, oh, I hope it doesn't affect her voice. Oh, Jesus. God. And I was just like, oh my God, shocked. Absolutely shocked. Um, like, oh god, I hope this doesn't come across in the in the wrong way. But why why are we so obsessed with this? No, that's what I'm saying. It's like actually, people are fetishizing over it. Like, oh yeah. my god, do you see what she looks like now? How did she do it? I want to do that, and then it turns into a cycle. And this is exactly what feeds diet culture. She might be dealing with something really awful. I'm so glad that you said that because, not that I think she's dealing with something awful, that's not what I'm trying to say, but I was reading this piece because I was doing some research on it actually for work because, like, I just, um, part of my job is, like, um, keeping on top of, like, things that are trending, um, like Google Trends and things for marketing purposes, and I came across this um, article in New York Magazine, and I just wanted to read this bit because, not that I'm saying this definitely applies to Adele, but I just think that for anyone who passes judgment on another person's weight, I just think this is really good to read. 
So she's saying that, like, if you don't see someone for a long time, they gained or lost weight. My rule of thumb is to never say anything at all. You never know the full context. There could be an illness or a medication behind, a sudden weight change, a psychological crippling event, a new diet, a job loss, a sudden grief, anorexia, depression, addiction, divorce, early pregnancy, or just gentle humanizing curves of age. Like, you have absolutely no idea what's going on behind closed doors. I know that she's recently divorced. Imagine she's, like, going through the worst thing in her life, and she's dropped all this weight as a side effect, and everyone's like, oh, my God, you look great. Yeah. But inside, she might be the complete opposite. Definitely. I just Um, think it's so sad that, like... I just spilled my bottle of water, like, and I'm sitting in a puddle. (laughs) No, that's the worst. That's why I just did that weird face halfway through. And now it probably feels like you weed yourself. I'm like, I can't even tell you how wet. I'm in like joggers as well, so they're like so straight. I'm my best wet where I'm going to sleep tonight. Okay. Time to get the hair dryer out. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm just going to sit in this puddle whilst we wrap it up. (laughs) No, I'm really glad we touched on that, and I'm really glad that was your opinion on it as well, because... A tiny part of me when you said, Oh, should we discuss it on the podcast? I thought you were going to be like, You know, how does she do it? <laughs> oh my god, the complete opposite. I don't give a shit how it happened as long as she's okay. Yeah, 100%. And no one's just, mentioning that. Everyone's just freaking praising her for like, Oh my god, look how good she looked. And like, yeah. one, she looked fine before. Yeah, when you say, that's like, what I mean. Yeah, but I also think we're putting Adele at risk because now she's getting all this attention and all this praise for looking a certain way. And she's probably getting that could be damaging. Exactly. She's probably getting more attention for the way she looks than her music. She's probably like, shit, should I be this weight for the rest of my life to feel more valued? Yeah, exactly. And maybe she will be, and that's fine. But maybe what happens if the measures that, you know, I'm just thinking, I'm speaking in 100% hypotheticals here, but like what happens if there was something traumatic, which caused her to lose weight, but now she feels the pressure to maintain it for everyone else's acceptance, then she might be potentially putting herself into risky behaviors to achieve that. I just feel really bad for her, you know, like she's always beautiful, like no matter what. And I just feel like this is not the kind of publicity that she deserves we should be like celebrating her amazing music and her amazing career not how good she looks in a little black dress 100 percent. okay i just really wanted to get my thoughts on that out yeah, into no, the universe really glad we finished with that, actually. okay yeah so please don't make any judgment on someone else's weight it means yeah. absolutely nothing um and just always have someone's psychological well-being in the forefront of your mind yeah absolutely okay cool i'll let you go change into some dry clothes yeah i'm uh, sitting in the puddle right now <laughs> just about your laptop i just picture you being like this literally okay um, yeah cool so please rate review and subscribe it really does help to get a scene in the charts when you guys share and we always love hearing the feedback so keep writing in Yep, keep letting us know what kind of episodes you guys want, and we'll be back with you guys next week. Yeah, thanks guys. Bye.